0: So, <laughs> I have been stumped as a writer for a while now, and that's something I don't know if I've ever experienced before. Um, it's not writer's block, because I think of a million things I want to write about. I just can't seem to sit down and make it happen anymore. I don't know if it's a a result of just the stress that I've been under the last six months or so. I kind of think that has something to do with it where I kind of feel like go, go, go. I'm naturally like that because I have ADHD and one of our symptoms is we feel like we're driven by a motor and most days I do feel that way. It's just go, go, go and my brain races and I have so many thoughts and ideas. I probably have three ideas a day Of things I could write about. And everything inspires me, especially songs. But I'm just struggling to put it down on paper. And a friend of mine has talked a lot lately about starting a podcast. And I thought, gosh, you know, it is so much easier lately to talk than it is to write. And I thought, it's less time consuming. I can do it anywhere, I can do it in my car while I'm driving. Um, because I can just talk. So that is kind of where this came from, this idea to just start talking instead of writing. And I've never been too fond of my voice. So that's kind of a struggle to get past that um, and not care so much about what I sound like. But um, yeah, I'm just really excited to start this. And I think to start off, I'm mostly going to be talking about my experiences working in crisis pregnancy ministry for eight years. I recently left that ministry about a month or so ago, maybe six weeks ago, uh, to better care for my son, who is on the autism spectrum, and he was having a lot of problems with different schools. So he um, needed some extra help and extra support and i decided that i would need to give up my job and stay home and actually homeschool him now before you think i'm some sort of martyr please understand that we are doing online public school so i do not have to come up with the curriculum I don't have to wonder what lesson plans I should use or anything like that because I'm not a teacher. I have not been trained to be a teacher. It's not one of my giftings and I really have no interest in being a teacher. So I'm not doing that part of homeschooling. However, with his disability, I am in some ways being a teacher. I'm really being his accommodations They will put out the expectations and then I do what I need to do to get him to understand it and be able to do the work. So it is challenging. It is definitely a new season for me. I spent eight years uh, in crisis pregnancy ministry and I truly believed that that was what God had called me to do without a doubt. I felt that way strongly uh, for eight years. And to suddenly, abruptly, be pulled out of that ministry has been difficult. But yet, I know that God has called me to spend this precious time with my son. I only have a couple years left with him, and he needs me. And um, But my heart, of course, is still in that ministry. And so I feel a burden to speak out about what has been going on in the news, uh, what continues to go on in the hearts of our nation, the hearts of our young people, and especially in the hearts of some of our young believers. In the church, uh, just within my own circles, I see and hear of people who really don't understand the abortion issue. Um, They're starting to see it from a secular viewpoint, and they're starting to buy into what culture tells them instead of what the Lord says not only in his word but in the heart that he has given us the spirit in us that knows right from wrong and I just uh, I see a shifting in some ways now let me also say that I'm also super encouraged by um, the fact that the millennials are the most pro-life generation to come so and there are fewer abortions happening than ever before So those are great statistics, and those are very heartening. But I also see, um, and not just young people, but even people my age and middle-aged people, um, even people close to me that were formerly formerly very pro-life becoming pro-choice. And they're doing it for reasons that look really good on the surface. They sound really good. They sound um, very culturally acceptable. They sound very loving and compassionate, but you have to dig deeper. And so part of the passion that I have and part of the reason that I wanted to start talking about some of these issues is that I really want people to understand the the underlying issues in regards to abortion, the long-term effects, the way that it hurts women We know that it ends a life we know that even pro-choice people know that you know they may they may kind of oh what's the word they may kind of dance around the issue or tell themselves it's a blob oh it's just a blob of cells it's not really a life but at the end of the day deep inside they're not idiots they know that abortion ends a life they know that it kills a baby Um, But they're willing to justify that because they think that it helps the woman. So there's a trade-off. You know, yeah, we know it kills a baby, but the baby's only 8 weeks old. It's only 12 weeks old. It's kind of a blob. It can't live outside the womb. So it's okay to vacuum it out because, you know, we're helping the mom. And the mom is more important than the baby, And whether you believe abortion's okay at six weeks, 12 weeks, 18 weeks, 24 weeks, or 39 weeks and six days, you are essentially saying the life of the mom and her wants are more important than the life of the baby. So there's a trade-off. And I think that in our culture today, we are buying into that trade-off more and more because we want to be compassionate toward women, and that's a good thing. Women are amazing. Women deserve equal rights. Women deserve control over their own bodies. I believe all of that. The problem comes in that it's not their body because your body has your DNA. Every single part of you, you have your own unique set of fingerprints and you have your own unique set of DNA inherited from your biological mom and dad. So to say that a baby is part of a woman's body doesn't really make sense because they have their own unique DNA, different from any person ever created in the entire universe, unless they're an identical twin. They have their own fingerprints. They have their own destiny, their own future, their own purpose. And everything is spelled out in that DNA that they will need for life. And that is created at the moment of conception. How cool is that? In one little instant, boom, these things come together and an entire lifetime, an entire set of DNA that might live 90 years, 95 years, 80 years, 65 years, we don't know. And the potential that that little embryo has to change the world, to do great things, that's all determined in that one moment. If you believe in the big bang theory, think of it that way. It's a big bang. Oh my gosh. Not literally (sighs) a (laughs) bit, but it's this this moment where this life is created and all of that potential is there and it's so exciting. So this, this embryo, this fetus, this baby, this human is its own body. So we're not talking about a woman's body and a a right to choose things for her body. I believe in that. And a woman has so many choices. Let's not forget that. Being pro-life is not anti-choice because I believe in a woman's choice to be abstinent. I believe in a woman's choice to say, you know, I'm not going to have sex right now because I don't want a baby. And there's a good chance that sex creates a baby. So I believe in her choice to say no. And before we start talking about, well, what about all those rape cases? It's just terrible. Yeah, it is terrible, but guess what? Less than 1% of abortion is due to rape. So we can talk about that 1% another time. I'm talking about the 96% of abortions that are because the mom just doesn't wanna be pregnant, okay? So about 3% are due to medical reasons, and about 1% is due to rape. So for our purposes right now, we're talking about the 96% of abortions that are because mom doesn't want to be pregnant. Mom made a mistake. Okay? So I believe in her choice to be abstinent. I believe in a woman's choice to use birth control. Now, when I was part of a ministry, we really didn't talk about that because there are many people in the pro-life movement that are against any type of birth control. And that's okay. That's their right. I am not one of them. And I can say that now. Woohoo, freedom. I can say that I do believe in using birth control. There are some types of birth control that are not abortifacient. They prevent ovulation. If you are not ovulating, it is impossible to get pregnant because there's no egg. Uh, There's also condoms. There's also spermicide. There's also a combination of all those things. So I do believe that a woman has a right to take birth control. Now, I don't believe in the morning-after pill. However, if I had a choice between a woman using the morning-after pill or a woman having an abortion, I would choose the morning-after pill. Because of the effects that abortion has on a woman, and that you don't know if you're pregnant or not. So, I'm not saying it's morally right to do that, but I am saying that there would not be the accompanying pain and guilt and devastation that most women feel afterward. So, again, there's a third choice choice not to have sex, choice to use birth control, choice if you screw up to use the morning after pill. Now, There's another choice. Once you find out you're pregnant, you can choose to parent or you can choose to place for adoption. The same number of women waiting, families, couples waiting to adopt, is roughly the same number of abortions we have in the United States each year. So, all the pro-choice people that like to say, well, who's gonna take care of all these babies? And if you're so pro-baby, then you need to take care of them after they're born. Well, guess what? There's a lot of moms and dads out there desperate for your baby. So that argument kind of goes by the wayside. So again, choices. Now we have four choices, women. We have a lot of choices. And when Roe v. Wade was legalized in 1970, women didn't have all those choices. We didn't have the 3D and 4D ultrasound technology that shows us what's going on in the womb in those early stages. And society really did stigmatize single moms and women who got pregnant outside of marriage. We didn't have WIC. We didn't have um, the housing help that we have now. We didn't have the jobs help. We didn't have the daycare programs that we have now. We didn't have the welfare system it was just in its early early beginnings, and that's a that's a different subject for a different day. but my point being is society has changed greatly since Roe v Wade So to say, well, these women you know they have no other choice and they're gonna be homeless and destitute and society will reject them and look down on them um we don't really live in that culture anymore. In fact, single motherhood is often glamorized, it's often. Put on the pedestal of look at how how great these moms are and many of them are great don't get me wrong but to say that there's there's the same stigmas and the same cultural um barriers it is is ludicrous it's a different society you can go to college in your house with a laptop you can finish high school in your house with a laptop With your baby crying in the next room. Uh, My son does online schooling and his teacher, his biology teacher, has a baby who is crying while she teaches class. And she comforts him and it's kind of cool. We hear him cooing and making his little gurgly noises in the background. Yeah, so to say that, you know, they're limited, they won't be able to finish high school, they won't be able to finish college um okay so those those reasons are out the window so we come down to again the 96 percent of abortions that are happening because mom just doesn't want to be pregnant and in the eight years that i counseled women and listened to their reasons why let me tell you some of their stories were really hard to hear some of them have really tough situations If anyone comes away from this message thinking, gosh, Marsha doesn't care. Marsha has a really hard heart toward women. It couldn't be further from the truth because these women, so many of them, my heart would break with theirs. But two wrongs don't make a right. And a really tough situation doesn't get easier by making a decision that ends the life of your child and that usually will haunt them, usually, not always. Some women seem to have one, two, three abortions without much consequence. But over time, even the ones that seem like they have no consequences really do. It just plays out in ways that are really hard to measure. We don't have firm, amazing statistics um, for these women. You know, we don't have scientific evidence. We can't develop a hypothesis that every single woman that has an abortion, X, Y, and Z is going to happen to her. Because we're talking about human beings and how complex we are emotionally and spiritually and mentally, we are so complex. So I can't give you hard data, but I can give you my own experience as a woman that went through abortion and how it, it hurt my life. I can tell you that I know of other women and I see it in their lives, the insidious ways that it has hurt them, hurt their marriage, uh, led to, to alcohol abuse, led to numbing, led to spiritual, uh, brokenness to where, um, Perhaps at one point in their life, they felt close to God, but that is something way in the past, uh, broken relationships, inability to, um, to mother and to mother well, or, or the reverse where you're so overprotective of your kids that you're smothering them, drug abuse, uh, depression, anxiety. So there are, there are long-term repercussions. And, and I saw that of all the things I saw in eight years, the thing that I saw the most was the long-term devastation that abortion brings, the regret, the guilt, and, and then also, um, just the inability of the woman to fully realize the impact of abortion in that moment of distress. She sees the baby as a problem. She sees the baby as, um, as something that needs to be fixed, a problem that needs to be resolved quickly. And she knows that every day that passes that baby's more and more developed. So she's under the clock. And when we're under the clock and we're pressured, we sometimes make rash decisions. And part of my job to to talk to these women was to get them to slow down and to get them to realize you have time. You have a lot more time than you think you do and to get them to just to to stop and think a little bit more because I'll tell you what, another lie that culture buys and believes is that these women get good solid counseling at the abortion clinic and they don't. Nobody there tells them, hey, do you realize that most women that have an abortion will later regret it? Did you know that? Do you want to read some stuff Do you want to watch some women talking about their experiences? Do you want to slow down and take a few more days to think about this? Do you want to look at fetal development? Because guess what? You're going to hear about it at some point. Maybe nobody tells you at the clinic what your baby is doing at seven weeks. And then three years later, you decide to get pregnant and have a baby. And when you go to the gynecologist at seven weeks or the obstetrician and they tell you what's going on with your fetus, you break down in tears and you're devastated because the people at the clinic didn't tell you that baby had a heartbeat. Yes, by law, they're supposed to show you an ultrasound, they're supposed to do an ultrasound, but they turned the screen away. They didn't say anything, they didn't tell me. And now I realize what I did three years ago Maybe it's 10 years down the road and you'd had an abortion at 12 weeks and they hadn't told you that baby was pretty much fully developed. Every organ system, fingers, eyes, nose, toes, everything just needed time to grow. Nobody told you that at the abortion clinic. You paid your thousand dollars. They did what you wanted them to do and you left. It's a business. They gave you a service. And now you're three months pregnant and you go to the obstetrician with your husband and you're excited to have this baby and you find out that at 12 weeks, this is what the baby really is like. And you remember that you destroyed your baby at 12 weeks. My job was giving them factual information and telling them to slow down and think about it. I wasn't trying to change their mind. Did it sometimes change their mind? Sometimes. Most of the time it didn't. And that was okay. Because at least they were going into it fully informed. At least they were going into it knowing, hey, you might feel this way afterward. This might happen to you five years down the road, 10 years down the road, and if it does, you're not alone. And guess what, you can come back to this place. And as much as I would like to take you by the shoulders and say I told you so, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to love you and I'm going to tell you about the amazing forgiveness and grace that is found in Jesus Christ and that he died even for that sin, even for this huge unmentionable sin that we don't talk about as women. Did you know one in four women in the church has had an abortion? What? Not my church? No. No way. That's crazy all right, let's be like generous and say one in eight. No, that's like, that's like eight in a hundred. No way. Yes way. But we don't talk about it. Well, nobody in society really talks about it, but abortion's a good thing, right? I mean, come on pro-choicers. It's good. It's every woman deserves to do it. It's no big deal. It's her body. It's a medical procedure. It's like getting your appendix out. So why don't people talk about it? I don't know. Because there's shame and there's guilt and inherently we're embarrassed about it and we know it's wrong and we know it's not what a good mom does and we know it's not what our bodies were intended to do. It's not, even from a biological standpoint. Throw the Christianity mumbo-jumbo out the window. Biology! What animal species aborts their baby? Mm, none. Now somebody might say, yeah, but like rabbits eat them when they're born. And you know, there's like conditions aren't good, so they eat their babies all right, I'll give you that much. But we're not rabbits. And so we think about what we do for years afterward. And it haunts us and it bothers us and it's not good for us. And that's the message that I'm super passionate about. So I might not work in pregnancy ministry anymore, but guess what? I'm not going to shut up about it because it hurts women. Not to mention... The baby that's killed, and 50% of those babies would be women, right, eventually when they grow up. They're girls, so we're killing girl babies. Um, Yeah, it hurts women, and it hurts men too. That's a different topic for a different day, but it does hurt men as well. I just see abortion as another way that men control us um that culture controls us and tells us what to do and what we should do and what's okay and then we do it and then we're devastated and we're like hey culture lied to us these men that thought it was what we needed to do my boyfriend told me to go do it my husband didn't want another baby so we're listening so many times we're influenced by men in fact a lot of places or um i'm sorry there's a a specific um site on the internet and there's different groups that call abortion the unchoice because over 60 percent of women that have an abortion don't want to do it they're being coerced so why do we have some legal procedure and why do we say oh it's great and it's every woman's right and she should be allowed to do this when 60 percent of the ones that do it don't even want to They're feeling pressured and coerced. They're feeling like they have to. That's not a choice. That's somebody else oppressing them. Usually a man. Now, I am not a man-hater. I'm not a feminist. I'm not all crazy and radical like that. I love my husband. And men, godly men, are the bomb. (laughs) And we need to listen to them and give them authority and respect them. Um, But, come on, get real. Women aren't having a abortions because they want to they're having them because some loser man isn't going to help them isn't going to provide for them isn't going to be the godly man that god designed him to be he's being a prick and so they go out and they destroy their baby for a man and then they're like oh my gosh what did i do Yeah, so I just realized I've been rambling for 26 minutes. Um, it is time to stop, but I hope that uh, some of these themes will continue into the next time. I hope to get more specific on a lot of what I've brought out today uh, to give examples, obviously respecting confidentiality, but give examples of clients that I spoke with over the years Um, Also, talk a lot more about post abortion healing. Um, Talk about um, just a lot of the debunk a lot of the arguments from the pro choice side. And I really hope to educate people more, um, believers and non believers, to educate more about this issue from someone that has been there, um, not only as a woman that made this choice, but also as a woman who has uh, served women in these tough situations for eight years and just wanting to, to put more information out there, more real tangible examples, real life, uh, real life information, because statistics and opinions will only go so far. And we need to hear, hear it from the, the streets, so to speak. So I look forward to um, talking more. As you can see, I am a talker. I'm a talker and a writer, but for this season where the writing is just not coming, I'm going to talk, and I hope you'll listen.